Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. To kick this one off, I finally got the website going again. I know it's been kind of a running joke at the end of each of my podcasts for the last like year. I've mentioned the fact that I need to, well, that I have a website and then I usually end up talking about how I need to start updating it because I have a bunch of articles written that I haven't posted. Now, for those of you who just found me from the podcast or from the YouTube channel may not know this, all this started out with a website, Tom's Big Spiders. As a matter of fact, the YouTube channel was just kind of supposed to be a place to post videos for the website. So like if I wanted to demonstrate something like say a rehousing, I would go over and make a quick a down and dirty video for YouTube. And then what I would do is embed that in the article so that people could have a visual to go with it. And that's how it all kicked off. And then we went to YouTube and obviously here we are at the podcast. And I love all three and they all have, you know, I think they all reach different audiences, which is awesome. But I have to admit that the one that I, I wouldn't say I'm most proud of, but the one that, you know, there's more sentimental value to is the website, which is what kind of kicked the whole thing off. So anyway, I've spent a lot of time putting up some of the articles now and finally moving ahead to my quote unquote master plan, which is kind of a joke. But anyway, the whole idea a couple of years ago when I started the podcast was eventually to be able to present the information, obviously, on the three different formats. So for folks that don't mind reading and doing a little more reading or want something they can print out and take notes on, you would have the website. For folks that are consuming their tarantula content while driving the work or doing other things while feeding, whatever it may be, you have the podcast. And then for people that like the YouTube stuff, like videos, you'd obviously have the YouTube channel. And then the idea was to tie them all together on the site and tie the content all together. So this is the first time I've pulled it off or it will be coming Sunday because I did the podcast about moisture-dependent species. I just posted the article about moisture-dependent species, which is a bit different. And then right now, well, not exactly right now. Right now I'm doing the podcast, but as soon as I'm done with the podcast, we'll be hopping over to fish, editing out the video version. So that will be the idea going ahead. Not all things. I mean, some things I think make it better are more appropriate for the podcast format. I think other things are more appropriate for the written or the website format. And then I think some things are better where you can actually see what's going on. But we're going to try to cover them in all three just to give people a choice of what to pick. So very excited about that. For the first time, I feel like things are really kind of coalescing because it, it's been kind of one or the other for quite some time. And it, it, to be honest, my job, I do a lot of writing, a lot of report writing, things like that. So sometimes I don't feel like sitting down and banging out an article. Plus, what usually happens with me when I write an article is it's like, okay, this will be a simple little article. So for example, the one on moisture-dependent species, I pictured it being like around 1,000 words. I think we hit around 2,800 because what happens is as I start explaining things, I realize I, my goal is always to leave the person who's reading it, my audience, with the least number of questions as possible. So I try to anticipate any type of question that would come up. And then sometimes I'm talking about things that I do. And as I continue talking about it, I come up with more and more things that like, oh, wait a minute, this is another good thing that I do that might help some people out. So the idea is to get as much information in there as possible. And I think the easiest format for me to do that in is the writing because I can come back and revisit it. So for example, the first version of the article was about 1500 words and I was driving home from work thinking about it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I should probably mention this and mention this. So it gets bigger and bigger. And then sometimes with the podcast, what ends up happening, I always have like very brief notes. I don't like working from a script in most situations, even my teaching, I don't like working with the script or like, I don't want anything scripted out. I want to be able to move and kind of juke and jibe as needed as I'm delivering the stuff. So 
what will sometimes happen with the podcast is I'll get into it. And then afterwards I'm listening back to the podcast and I realize, oh man, I forgot to mention this or I forgot to mention that, whatever it may be, where the written word, I can always go back and tack it on. So that's always kind of nice. And so I'm hoping what will happen, I think some people will end up accessing all three. Some people will have their preferred way of getting, you know, the Tom's Big Spires content. But the idea is to get as many people out there as possible. Because as I mentioned before, you know, YouTube, which is probably my, well, there's no probably about it. It's my biggest audience is great, but there are its limitations because people do have to wade through a lot of, eh, lack of a better term, garbage to get to good content. And I think that can make it confusing for people just getting into the hobby, wherein with the website and the podcast, there aren't, you know, bottom line, there's not as much competition. I mean, obviously the web, if you do a search for something and you and you're going to pull up a lot of things, whether it be from arachnoboards or websites. But I think once people get on my site, it's kind of they're locked into the site. They hopefully start to recognize that the information is good and linger. So there's not as much competing noise, white noise for them to wade through. So I think that's going to be helpful to a lot of people. So anyway, very excited about that to finally get it going. And Billy has been just a heads up. Billy's been helping me with the Facebook page. I've mentioned this before, but she's really kind of been that piece that I'm missing trying to keep this stuff all together because she kind of helps me sometimes throwing stuff up on Facebook when I forget. She's on it a lot more often than I am. And lately, sometimes we're like, I'll be working over doing, the other day I was working on an article and she hopped on the Facebook page and was reading out things to me and I was answering them through her. So just a heads up. I don't want everybody to think, I'm still reading everything. I'm still hearing everything, but sometimes she's helping me out with it. It's just, it's become between the three different formats, it's become very, very unwieldy sometimes to try to keep up with all the correspondence. And I don't ever want to get to a point where I can't answer people's questions and it, it gets difficult. So she's been helping out. She's been a huge help from day one. So I honestly couldn't do any of this stuff without her. So anyway, moving on the topic of this one, I'm, I'm going to, originally I conceived this one a while back. And I was considering doing the top 10 list type of thing, but I had this thing with lists and I've made that clear before because it's like with certain topics, I think it works. And with other topics, it's just like who's to determine what order it goes in. I just, I, I have an issue with them. So we're not going to do the top 10 list thing. Although if I put it up there as a top 10 list, it would probably get a lot more views because people love lists and we've gone through that. But what I am going to do is go through some of the, we're going to call them non-myths. And I'm going to say non-myths because myths are usually things that you hear and you realize, nope, they're not true. It's made up. These are non-myths because some people think that they're made up and they're actually true, if that makes sense. It made sense in my head before we started doing this. So anyway, if it ends up that it doesn't make any sense, I apologize now. But there's, I get a lot of questions about some of these quote-unquote non-myths that people are like, hey, is this is this really true? Is this something I should really worry about? And I think sometimes they don't believe me when I tell them. And one thing we will talk about as we go through these, and I think it'll be apparent what kind of things I'm talking about as soon as we start with the first one, but one thing that will come out is, well, how, I think you'll have to ask yourself the question, what is it worth the risk? I think that's what it comes down to, risk versus reward. Now, I tend to not take a lot of risks because I don't ever, if I know something can happen once, I assume it can happen twice. I can assume it can happen three times. It happens in this guy's collection in Michigan. It could certainly happen in my collection in Connecticut. So I tend to not play around with that kind of stuff. However, for some people, they decide that the risk, the reward is worth the risk for whatever reason. So we're going to go through some of the things that I've encountered in the hobby. And these are things too, that when I was first getting into the hobby, a couple of them I have firsthand experience with. I will say that every single one of these, I've had at least two or three people report that they've experienced it. So basically saying, you know, I don't know how many times this happens and I'm not going to take a poll of it because it would just be too convoluted. But saying, I know for a fact, this isn't a myth, it can happen. 
So for example, to kick this one off, number number one, whatever, the first one we're going to cover is the old 10-gallon tank and are they dangerous for tarantulas? Now, why I say this is because back in the day, and especially when I first got in, everything you read about tarantulas said ideal setup is a 10-gallon tank. And what you want to do is put a little substrate in and you, know, you put your spider in, your hide, and your spider's perfectly fine. Well, then what started to come out over the years is the fact that 10-gallon tanks are fairly tall. I think they're anywhere from 10 to 12 inches. I'm not sure the exact dimensions, but it's a decent height. And if you're keeping a terrestrial species, usually what happens is somebody goes out, picks up a little small bag of cocoa fiber, and they pour the cocoa fiber in. And if it's moist, it starts off maybe three or four inches on the bottom, usually around three or so. And then as it settles, you're down to about two inches of cocoa fiber, which leaves a huge gap between the top of the substrate and the top of the enclosure. Now, the way the quote-unquote myth goes is that tarantulas that are exploring their enclosure can climb that glass, and especially if you're talking about a terrestrial species, they're not particularly nimble with climbing glass, or boreals are a little better with it, and they can climb the glass and they can fall and become injured. And a lot of people kind of poo-poo that and go, ah, no, it's not really that big of a deal. Or I've had several people over the course of the years go, what is the big deal with the 10-gallon tanks? Is this true? Or send me pictures of their setups that have 10-gallon tanks, not enough substrate in them that create that situation. And here's the deal. Is this true? Is this a myth? Well, obviously, we've already discussed the fact that these are things that can really happen. It is not a myth. Tarantulas can actually, here's what will happen. The tarantulas will climb the enclosures. A lot of, even if you haven't seen your tarantula climbing, and this is one that comes out quite a bit as people will go, I've never once seen my tarantula climbing. And is it possible that a tarantula never climbs? Of course, but you you can't watch them 24-7, and most of them are more active at night when the lights are off. So although you may not have ever actually witnessed your tarantula climb, there's a good chance it probably has explored at some point. I talk about my G. rosea that for years was kept in a much more shallow container, and then I put it in one of the Jamie's enclosures. Probably should have put a little more substrate in. It's at that borderline spot, and I've had people comment in videos and like, yeah, you probably should get some more substrate in, but that one's only eight inches tall, and have I seen her climb around? Yes, I've caught her, especially days where it's particularly humid. A lot of the the arid species do not like the humidity and will kind of climb the size of their enclosures. So your tarantula, yes, your tarantula, your terrestrial will climb. Most of them will climb at some point, especially when first rehoused. And then what ends up happening is they get up to the top and they fall. Now, if they fall on some fluffy cocoa fiber substrate, not so much of a big deal. And that concussion, their fall. But what people forget about is the fact that we don't just put a bunch of fluffy substrate in an enclosure. We put decorations. We put hides. We put water dishes. So what can end up happening is, and again, if the, the height is too far, a tarantula could, especially a very plump one, could rupture its abdomen falling even on just the substrate. But what more often happens is they fall and hit the edge of a water dish. They hit the edge of a hide. And that can cause the rupture of the abdomen. You can end up with a spider that's bleeding out or a dead spider. Now, for does this happen? Yes, I have had several instances over the course of doing the Tom's Big Spiders thing of hearing from keepers who came home to find a tarantula injured or dead that had fallen. Now, in one case, it, they didn't think it had fallen on anything hard. Two cases I am particularly remember, I remember very well. One of them, it was a rock water dish. It was made to simulate rock, and the tarantula, they found the tarantula next to the water dish. It had fallen off the top of the enclosure, hit the water dish, ruptured its abdomen. In the other case, they were using one of those, I think they're like pine or something. They're made the half logs, the hubba huts, I think they were originally called for reptiles that look like half logs or whatever. They were using one of those, and it, what they had guessed happened is the spider had fallen, 
struck its abdomen on the edge of the lip of that hubba hut. And again, in that case, I believe it was bleeding out. They were trying to stop it. They'd use glue or something. And then I don't know how that one turned out, but probably not very well. So yes, before, you know, you set up your enclosure, know that those 10 gallon aquariums are not particularly appropriate for tarantulas unless you put in a lot of substrate. And what ends up usually happening, unfortunately, is people don't want to spend that much money. You're at the pet store, you're sold a tarantula, and then you have to buy the substrate, which can be quite quite pricey, even if, they, you know, especially if you're buying cocoa fiber or something, it adds up, especially if you're going to try to fill that enclosure up to six or seven inches. Usually what happens is they grab one bag, they go, oh, that's good enough, throw the spider in, that's where that issue comes from. So do be aware that if you use one, make sure they can be used. I don't want to say they can't be used. I've seen people that have done a wonderful job of altering them by drilling holes or putting vents in the side, and we'll get to the other problem with them in a moment. But for those of you that are setting them up, you need to put in enough substrate. I mean, they can be used. I'm not going to say they can't be used. And if you put enough substrate, they can work out great. Just know that, yes, a tarantula can climb and can fall, especially if it strikes something. That's one thing you can do in any enclosure that I've tried to, you know, help people out with this tip is take your stuff. And I know a lot of times we like to stick our water dish right in the corner. Or we like to stick a hide right in the corner. Try to move them in from the edges a little bit. So if your spider does climb and fall, it doesn't land on one of those. And make sure if you're using plants or fake plants or fake foliage or little, you know, statues or whatever, they're not sharp. I saw something the other day where somebody had posted up pictures. I don't know what I was on. It popped up on my phone, like on Tumblr or something. And they'd built all these Lego castles that just look like it, the thing looked cool, but it was like a death trap for tarantulas. If you have something in there that's sharp, it can climb, it can fall on it, you could end up with a dead tarantula. So that's something to really be aware of. Now, while talking about the 10-gallon aquariums, unfortunately, with the 10-gallon aquariums, one of the other issues that comes with them is they often have screen tops. And yes, screen tops can be an issue. Yes, they can absolutely get stuck in them. I've experienced this personally. I've heard of you know, without exaggerating, at least a dozen people over the course of the years, which may not sound like much compared to how many people I speak to, but that's enough for me to realize that, yes, this can be a major issue. The screen tops on the tops of the enclosures can be a huge safety hazard for your tarantula. Now, with screen tops, we're talking about that little wiry screen, like the little wire screen, the very small openings in it. The larger reptile ones, that have the you know thick more thick gauge wire they use to create the screens supposedly are better i've heard people that use them and said they've had no issue it's the problem with the smaller ones is tarantulas have little claws at the end of their feet that they use to climb and those claws can be caught in the little where the pattern crisscrosses for the screening and they get caught in there and they can't dislodge their foot and then they're left hanging so a lot of cages like a lot of people will use they'll buy enclosure tops for their 10 gallon of tanks and they'll buy these, you know, or they'll make some. I saw one where a guy, I felt terribly, he went and made all these enclosure tops that slid off for his 10-gallon aquariums, but they were all made out of like thin screen. And I'm like, no, man, they're going to get caught in that. So the, you, the bigger screen supposedly is better. I just kind of try to avoid screen if at all possible. I've talked to other people. I did talk to another keeper who said he did have one get caught in the thicker stuff they use for reptiles. I've heard less issues about that. It's more about that thin mesh screen. But anyway, my story is I had the bracket, my Brachypelma, Baumgartney, Bami, Bomi, whatever you want to call it, hybrid years ago. 
And when she was a little smaller, I put her in one of those 8x8x8 eight by eight by eight Exoterra Nanos, the short ones. And I had heard about the screen thing. And I'll be honest, I was too cocky and went, yeah, I'm supposed to, it's probably not really an issue. So she was in there for quite some time with no issue. And then one morning I came down and went to get dressed in the room. And I look over and she was hanging by two of her feet, just like air walking, trying to get down. And it was horrific. And I don't know how long she was there for because it was like five o'clock in the morning. She could have been there for hours. So luckily, I was able, I took the thing down, and as I was taking it down, she kind of finally dislodged herself, fell down the bottom, and she was fine. That was it. I took her out of that one immediately. I ended up replacing that top with drilled uh, plexiglass, but I never put her back into that closure. That was all I needed to see to know that that could happen. If that had happened, I, as far as I know, she was only there for a few minutes. I don't. I have no idea. But I've heard other instances over the years of the same exact thing happen. One guy came home. His T-stermy lost two legs. It was dangling in the top of the enclosure. He found the legs still there when he came home and the tarantula luckily had popped them off at a joint so it didn't bleed out but it freaked him out there was another one where it was a g rosea brand new g rosea that they had purchased they put it in the enclosure it had the screen top it was one of those like critter cave but a lot of the reptile ones they sell with the screen tops and he came home and it was just dangling from the thing lifeless and he ended up having to rehydrate he tried rehydrating it the, the tarantula did come back around but it was a very scary event and then there was one where the poor gentleman went off on vacation he had to leave them behind. I think it was like four days to a week or so. Came back and found what I believe was an AC Monty. I can't remember. For some reason, it stuck in my head. It was AC Monty. And it was dead. It was dangling from the thing, just hanging there. He had no idea how long it was there for. So, yes, those screen tops can be deadly. I don't play with them anymore. The Supposedly with a boreal species, it's, I've heard this from several people. And I'm not going to lie. I've kept some of boreals with them. And I haven't had an issue with it yet. Although I've systematically gone through and taken out all the screens. Supposedly, it's not as big of a deal with the arboreal species, but I, again, I don't take the chance with it. I know some people will use the exoterratols. They never change them out. And again, this is where it comes down to risk versus reward. Does it happen all the time? No. Is it? Does it happen enough to say that it's a common occurrence? I would probably have to say no. Does having one or two spiders kind of indicate that there's a problem and would I want to take the chance? No, I would not. So I think it comes down to what, you know, I, I get this question a lot from people because I think the exoterra nano, oh, geez, can't speak this morning, exo Terra nanotalls are a popular option, especially for arboreal species, and a lot of people see that I use them. And what I'll get is they'll see my video, they'll see I replace the top, and they'll go, man, that looks like a lot of work. Do I really have to do that? And my answer is usually, well, yeah, you, you probably want to. You don't want to take the chance. And then they'll say, well, have you ever actually personally experienced this? And it's one of the ones I can go, yes, I did. I was just like you and said, nah, it's probably not a big deal and almost paid for it. Well, I didn't almost pay for it. My poor spider almost paid for it. So yes, non-myth number two the screen tops can be safety hazards. I would not mess around with them. I do have, I buy ones from a company. It's like Zoo something or Reptazoo, I think. And they don't have mesh tops. It's almost like what they did was took a sheet of like metal and drilled a bunch of holes in it very close. So it almost looks like mesh, but it's not. And I haven't had any issues with that, which is good because those would be tough ones to replace. And I have those on a couple enclosures now. And they seem to do fine with those, but I am keeping a lookout for it, and I'm only using it for fossorial species at the moment. Oh, actually, no, I do have two arboreal species that I have not used it for terrestrials, so I haven't seen that become an issue, but that's something that I will keep an eye on. And obviously, if it becomes an issue with them, I will report on it and scold myself for taking the chance, but I honestly don't think it's going to be an issue with these. Now, moving on to our third quote-unquote non-myth, which is the most unoriginal title I came up with, but sometimes these are hard. 
we're going to talk about the screen vents. I get this one all the time. This one I think is a no-brainer. And as far as when we talk about, you know, what is the actual risk? What are the chances of this happening? This The chances of this one happen are pretty good. The screen vents, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, things can chew through them. And I've had people go, can that really happen? Well, I have a video up. I believe is where I compared the Lorex acrylic enclosures to the Jamie's acrylic enclosures. And the one of the issues at the time, Lorex doesn't do this anymore, by the way. And I want to make this very clear. They actually listen to people that said this was a problem with tarantulas. They used to put in these wire mesh, the, you know, the, the circular wire mesh vents. And the problem with those is the tarantulas can, especially terrestrials, not so much, again, not so much the arboreal ones, I haven't seen it. The terrestrials can and will chew through them. And now they do drilled holes, which is great. The best thing you can use for ventilation is either the thick plastic, you know, if you're going to use the circular vents, thick plastic ones, or drilled holes work great. And they've now changed this. They are using the drilled holes. I want to make that clear again so we're not bashing larks. They've made, they've, they're the company that made my M. Balfour enclosure. And I went back to them because somebody had tipped me off that they were now doing drilled holes. So moving on, yes, they can chew through them. I have experience with this with two different species, both Lazyodora species. What happened was I had them in the, I believe it's like 12-gallon Lorex plastic enclosures, acrylic enclosures. And one day I came in, I noticed one of them was fiddling with it a little bit, but it hadn't really done any damage. And so I was like, all right, I got to keep an eye on that. And I did buy a bunch of plastic vents. And at this point, I was like, you know what, I need to replace these. Well, I should have replaced them sooner because about a week later, I came into the tarantula room and my L. parahybana female had completely pulled the screen almost all the way out. It dug its fangs in. She dug the fangs in and pulled that screen till it was almost, it was ripped off, I would say about three quarters of the way around the side where the frame of the vent and the actual wire mesh meet. So if I hadn't caught her at that time, she would have pulled that completely out and probably escaped from the enclosure. And then at the same time I had her going, I had my L. Itabune, Lazyodora Itabune, in one as well, and that one started chewing hers. So I had there's images of this up. If you search for the Jamie's Lorax thing, you can see the actual vent. I have proof. It's what they did. These guys at the time weren't even full grown. They were probably about five inches or so, six inches, probably around five, six inch mark, ripped right through it like it was nothing. Now, there's two issues with this. Number one, the biggest issue is that it can cause, uh, you know, an escape. They pull the vent out, they can get out of it. The other issue that we don't think about is that while they're tearing at those with their fangs, that puts a lot of wear and tear on their fangs that they shouldn't be putting on them. I mean, Tearing that wire vent apart, pulling it, they're very, very strong animals. You could break a fang, and then we could end up with a sick tarantula that can't eat correctly because it's broken fang. So there's two issues with these. So would I play with them? No. If you have an enclosure that has wire mesh vents on it, I would replace them ASAP. If they're the round ones, the nice thing is you can go to roundvent.com, most original name ever, but I'll tell you it's easy to, very easy to remember, obviously. But if you do have them in and they're not glued in, if they're glued in, I'd ch I wouldn't even bother trying to use the cage. But if they're not glued in, pop them out, get some plastic ones in there. Make sure your tarantula can't get its fangs in because they will rip right through them. That is no joke. That has been proven. It's not a myth. It can actually happen. I've seen it happen twice with mine, and I've spoken to others that have experienced the same thing. And is it likely? I think this is one of the more likely ones because what will happen is the spiders will sense that there's air throw, uh, airflow coming through those, and they will investigate. And if they can get a fang through, and if they can pull those things out, they will do so. They'll work at them, and they're very, very strong animals. And keep in mind that in the wild, they use those fangs to dig through hard-packed dirt. So those fangs are very strong as well. So you don't 
don't want to play around with that one. That's not one that, you know, as, as far as if we were going to rank these the most likely to least likely, this would be up there around most likely as far as happening. So don't play around with the wire mesh vents. Get them out of there or do not buy cages that have them that you can't get them out because it could experience an issue and end up with an injured or lost tarantula, which nobody wants. Now, while we are talking about myths that surround enclosures, let's get another one out of the way that, again, is this is I've seen myself. I've heard from many people, probably one of the more, uh, more likely ones to happen on this one. Critter keepers. We all love critter keepers. They make them in a variety of very convenient sizes, including a very, very small size. It's probably about, I don't know, four inches by six inches. They're very small. But the problem with the critter keepers is those tops. No matter what size the actual base of the enclosure, the acrylic clear part of the enclosure is, the tops, those colorful, wonderful tops, always have the same types of vents. And unfortunately, the spaces in those vents take up, the the size of those little vent slats that they have in there are the same or pretty much consistent from your little extra small all the way up to your extra large. So unfortunately, what will happen is somebody will go on Amazon or Pet Mountain or somewhere, so they'll see these little mini ones and micro ones, and they'll go, wow, this would be absolutely perfect for a little sling. And they get it home and they set it up, they put their cork bark in, they put their substrate in, some moss, a little water dish, and they drop their little, you know, three-quarter inch sling in there, and then they go to feed it a couple times, and they go, man, that thing's not eating, what's going on? Well, unfortunately, your sling has probably escaped. And here is the problem, and I've, I've gone through this one quite a bit, and I had, there was one instance that really frustrated me, because the individual set, had slings coming, I asked what size they were, they set the enclosures up, and they were these little micro critter keepers. And I said, hey, heads up, depending on how small your slings are, they're not appropriate for the sling size, the, the slings that size, because they can permit escape. Well, what happened is, the guy rehoused three of them into these, lost all three of them. Here is the long and short of it. I would not use any type of critter keeper cage for any specimen that is under about one and a half inches or so. They work great for larger ones, but for the smaller ones, if they can, here's the deal with spiders. If they can get their carapace through a gap, they're going to get the rest of their body through. And some of them will end up killing themselves by getting their abdomens through because they'll end up puncturing or, or popping their abdomens trying to get through a place, uh, through a small gap. So I don't use the critter keepers for anything under an inch and a half. Honestly, I kind of err more on the side of caution and don't use them for anything under maybe an inch and three quarters. If you want to be extra safe, keep it two inches. It honestly depends on how girthy the spider is. But those slats, those they have those long uh, ventilation slats in it. A tarantula can go right through those. Now, I had a situation where I had one of the little ones years ago. This was probably seven, eight years ago. And I pick one up and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put, I believe it was a one inch specimen in it. And I came home one day to find the spider halfway out. If I hadn't shown up at that time, that spider would have been long gone. So I learned my lesson very early with that. I've spoken, again, I had this keeper that lost three different spiders with it. I've had other people over the years send me pictures. Hey, Tom, I'm a little worried this one escaped. I think everything's perfect. Can you take a look at the pictures? I look at the pictures and what I end up seeing is an empty critter keeper that housed a small sling that had likely gotten out and escaped. So yes, that is not a myth that can happen. Happen. It, if a spider, if you've watched these guys, if they find a place where there's airflow coming in, they will pick at it, they will claw at it, they will use their fangs, they will try to get their legs through, they will investigate, they want to see what's going on out there. And if it's big enough to permit escape, they're gone, they're going to boogie. So what's important, if you're using critter keepers, do not use them for the teeny tiny slings. I don't care how small the actual cage itself is. Believe me, I have two of them sitting on shelves in my garage because I honestly don't have anything that's appropriate for them because these slats are too big, they permit escape. So 
They're just sitting there. So don't don't even worry about or bother with the super tiny ones with slings. I'd avoid them completely. And if you're rehousing, you'll notice all of my husbandry videos, I speak about the fact that the critter keepers can work. Usually I'm talking about juveniles and I say to make sure that the spiders are a certain size so that the spiders don't just boogie on out of that enclosure and you're left with a beautiful, you know, it's going to be a beautiful enclosure, but with no spider inside. And honestly, while we're talking about this one, this isn't the part of the myth, but it's something to be concerned with, be careful with. Always remember, if it can get its carapace out, it can get its body out. So whatever you decide to use for a sling enclosure, you need to make sure you keep those ventilation holes small enough that they don't permit escape. Or if you're using a found type of cage, I use these little hinged boxes that I was getting off Amazon. And this is one of the only times, I've, it's the only time I've lost a sling, like the sling took off and it was completely my fault. There were hinges on the side. It was a little acrylic enclosure and I had a Pisazme in one, Pisazme sling, rehoused it. It was dropping food in. It buried itself, I thought, and then months went by. I didn't see it. So finally, I dump all the substrate out and go to see if it, you know, it must have died in its burrow. I find nothing. Well, while I'm sifting through the dirt and everything, I happen to glance over to the enclosure and realize that beneath the, the hinges, when you close the enclosure, there's a big gap beneath both hinges obviously large enough to permit escape and what unfortunately ended up happening was the spider went out and explored went oh what do we got here a gap and took off and I still feel terribly about it It was such a stupid thing for me to do I usually much more cognizant of this type of stuff I don't know why I didn't notice it and luckily I had had other larger specimens in them as well that couldn't get through but that could have been a nightmare so I now I can fill that gap with some silicone or I can use tape put tape on both sides so that both the sticky sides meet in the middle and kind of cover it up but all Always make sure to examine your enclosures before you put your slings in them to make sure there's no place they can get out. Don't be a doofus like me and lose one. So next one, this one just was amazing because I had it on my list because somebody sent me a picture. They were taking pictures of their spiders and what they were doing was they were taking them out onto their carpeted floor and kind of getting pictures of them in the carpet. And I tried to warn the person. I was like, listen, um, they have little toe claws and those claws can easily become caught in the carpet and you can end up losing uh, your spider, losing a leg. Like that's a very dangerous type of material to have your tarantula traipsing around on. So the person's like, oh, no, I didn't have any problems with it. And I'm like, no, listen, you you don't want to play around with carpet. Tarantulas should not be on carpet. Well, somebody emailed me the other day to tell me there was a video out and asked me my opinion of it, which I didn't get much into. But there was a, a YouTuber had their tarantula out in a carpet. Apparently, its legs were sticking. I didn't watch the video because I don't watch this particular uh, individual anymore because of situations like these but apparently it was like from what i was told there was some giggling going on when the tarantula got its legs caught and people were coming on chiming in saying hey that's a really bad idea yes that's a terrible idea you should not have your tarantula on carpet i'd honestly be careful anything like blankets you know something that's knitted i've seen some pictures where people try to and i think the problem is again it's that treating them like they're like cuddly little animals like oh i'm gonna put them on my bed with the you know the afghan my grandmother made me and take some pictures well the problem is all those little fibers those little toe claws can catch into glass they can catch the little tiny microscopic nooks and crannies that are in glass so they can climb imagine what happens when they get something like a shag carpeting or an afghan or something that's fabric that it can get caught in and what will happen is their foot or leg will get caught and they will pull away and they can end up losing a leg over it and yes this has happened because i had somebody that contacted me where they had their spider it was a young man who had his spider in his room he was showing it off to a friend and he took it out on his bed because he wanted to be safe with it and they were playing with it a little bit and the spider 
got its leg caught. The kid went to try to rescue it, and it ended up pulling off its back leg, much to his horror and his friend's horror. The leg was twitching. He said it was the most horrific thing he's ever seen in his life. He learned his lesson. He, he said afterwards, he's like, I, I realized that was a really bad idea. I think the problem sometimes is we hear that if you're going to handle them, and we'll get to that one in a minute, that you should do them over something soft. So unfortunately, the soft thing that you have is your bed where there's a you know blanket on it or something inappropriate or the carpet. So here's the deal. If you're going to take your tarantulas out and do rehousings, don't do it anywhere where they're going to be in contact with carpeting or you know something that they could get their toe claws caught in. They can't get them dislodged. It results in an injured spider. It results in a startled spider. Now, keep in mind, if you're working with a spider that's, and this is another thing people don't think about, you're working with a spider that's calm, all of a sudden its leg gets caught. It doesn't necessarily make the connection, my leg is caught because I'm caught in this inanimate object, this afghan, this carpet. They might think it's getting grabbed by a predator. Then you're going to get kicking hairs. You're going to get bites. It's just a bad situation. So keep them, for crying out loud, keep them off carpeting. Let's just throw that right. There's no excuse for them to be on carpeting. Keep them off blankets, fuzzy things, anything of that nature so that they don't get their legs caught. They don't rip a leg off. It's it's terrible to do to the spider. It's not funny. And again, I did not, for people that, I, I did not see the video myself. Yeah, I just, I don't have time to go watch stuff like that anymore. But if there was giggling involved, that's pretty disgusting, honestly. I mean, they, we were supposed to be taking care of these animals, not putting them in precarious situations and then giggling at it when things go wrong. But if that didn't happen, I don't know. Maybe other people have seen it. Feel free to chime in on this. Don't use any names. Again, I'm not about calling. This isn't about calling people out. It was just a perfect example to illustrate this non-myth because I've had people go, no, nah, what are the chances of that? I would say the chances are pretty good. If you put a tarantula on something like that, it's going to use its little claws. It's going to climb. It's going to get them caught and you're going to have an injured tarantula. So keep them off that type of stuff. And then moving on to the next one. And this one's going to be an interesting one to deal with too, because I had this one ready to go. And uh, well, you'll see when we get into it, but can a tarantula be dropped from handling? How often does that happen? I get this one quite a bit. Now, number one, people, I, I got some, a little, I think it was a joke. I posted a video up recently with the birthday haul I got and one of the little slings, I think it might've been the B Amelia kind of shot out and went on my hand and somebody's like, oh, so what's that about handling again? Uh, first and foremost, I I think it was it was a just a little rib and it was funny, but I want to make it very clear. I'm not one of these militant people against handling. I don't go out there actively go on videos and tell people to stop handling. I have my own beliefs, my own reasons I don't handle, but like I've said many times before, I get why people handle and I do. It's one of those things I see both sides of the argument. Again, it comes down to risk versus reward for me. What is the reward? I get to handle a spider. I get to feel a little closer to my spider. I did mention that when the first time I held the spider and was able to prove to myself that I was fully over my arachnophobia, that was a huge, profound moment for me. So I get that aspect of it. And I do get for some people, they see their spiders more as furry animals and want to interact with them physically. I do understand that. For me, the risk is not worth the reward. I'm not going to go out there and do handling videos because I don't do it myself. Have I held? And, and let's just throw this one out there. I have held things. I had the other day, I had a, a T. albopilosum or T. albopilosis, it might turn into, in my hand the other day. It was just reaction, but that's in my home. That's I've had a lot of experience with them. And it was kind of like, I wasn't doing it to show people. Like it wasn't a video. Billy and I were sitting there and we kind of joked like, yeah, good thing we weren't taping that one. I don't, 
I don't encourage it. I don't ever want to set that example. If people are going to handle, they're going to go out and find other people that handle and they can explain how to do it. Uh, it's not my thing. However, the one thing that kind of bothers me is when people talk about, yeah, there, there really is no risk for handling for the tarantula. You just got to be careful. You got to hold it over, you know, make sure it's on something soft. You got to make sure it's not above the ground. Or I get this one. My tarantula is never bolted. There'd never be an issue. None of those are true. We just talked about the fact that a lot of times when people handle, they'll do so over a pillow or over a bed or over carpeting because in their minds, all right, it's in a safe place. That puts the tarantula in danger. If it gets its toe claws caught in those fabrics, rips its leg off, you could have a situation where the keeper and tarantula are both in danger. So let's knock that one right off the bat. The other one, can they be dropped? Yes, they can. And I've heard many instances over the years with people, and the worst I've ever heard what came recently where somebody had a T. albopilosum that they had had for years. They said they'd handled it minimally over the course of their, you know, the time having, I believe they had it like four or five years and always was, you know, always practiced good handling and safety. Well, one day they were sitting on the floor handling the T. albopilosum. It shot up their shoulder. They went to get it off the shoulder and the spider jumped down and fell hit the floor, ruptured its abdomen, fell probably about, you know, I don't know how tall the individual was, but at least two or three feet, ruptured its abdomen, the tarantula died. This person was heartbroken. And I did feel badly for them because they said, listen, I, I did all the things you're supposed to do to handle them safely. I was on the floor, but there's one of those situations where the spider bolts, it gets spooked. They can do that. They are wild animals. They will tolerate handling. Uh, I've heard people say that theirs actually get tamed down. But here's the big deal, guys. We've all experienced this. You get a tarantula that's super laid back, it molts, and suddenly its temperament changes. So they're not necessarily consistent from molt to molt. So you can have a tarantula you can hold one month, and the next month you got a little wild person on your hand, a little wild creature. So that's always important to keep in mind that that can change. And then we talk about the fact that, well, can are there safer ways to handle than others? Absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and argue about that. Obviously, somebody that's sitting on the floor has a spider in front of them on a surface that's, you know, free of, you know, carpeting or fabrics or something you get stuck in that's kind of got it corralled. Obviously, that's about as safe as you can go. If you're holding it in your hands, you should be holding it right over whatever surface is beneath it. But again, here's a situation where the individual was doing exactly what we tell them to. They're sitting on a floor. There's, as far as I know, there was no carpeting or anything there. They have the tarantula in their hand gets spooked, shoots up to their shoulder, jumps off to its death. That's it. There was another situation where the person was handling it, went to get their phone, reached over, the thing jumped out of their hand, bounced off their bed, landed on the floor. It it's, it can happen. Another one, My uh, uh, this was several years ago, the person had the spider out on their bed and the spider bolted, made it to the edge of the bed before they could put their hand out. The spider leapt off the bed boom, dead spider. So again, I'm sure there's people out there that are that handle and go, ah, it could never happen. And you know what? You might go through your whole life with it never happening. I'm, I, I'm not even going to bother arguing that. But to sit there and pretend like that it can't happen, that it doesn't happen, that's just a dangerous line of thinking because you're ruling out the possibility, which means you're going to be probably letting your guard down thinking everything's going to be safe. These are things you need to think about before you handle. So again, this isn't an anti-handling tirade. I want to make that incredibly clear. And if you do decide to handle, I'm not the guy to go to. Please don't send me questions on how to handle because I just don't, I don't see a need for it. I can admire mine from afar. I don't feel the need to physically interact with them. Again, the few occasions that I end up handling, it's usually because something starts to walk out of the cage or something. I kind of put my hand there and get it back in, but I don't do it in my videos because I'm not trying to encourage it. But you need to be aware of, we can sit there and pretend like 
there's a perfectly safe, risk-free way to handle. And I really don't believe that's the case. There's always that situation where something goes wrong, where something could go wrong, where you have a tarantula that was fine one day and the next day it's not so fine. It bolts, it's up your arm, it's on your back, who knows? So just please be careful and please recognize if somebody tells you there's zero risk in holding them, that's not true. Is this a common one? I would have to say probably no. I mean, if we're going to be honest with the amount of people out there that are handling, but is there a possibility? Yes, there's always a possibility. So keep in mind when people, you know, with that whole thing where I, and I did see something recently where somebody's like, if you handle correctly, there's no risk. Yes, there's always a risk. Is it a big one? No, but, but it should be something anybody that decides to handle has in the back of their mind and, you know, is prepared for. So last one on this one, not not one that happens, well, I get a lot of questions about it and I usually give my answers and I get the same stock one back and it surrounds splitting larger cages in half to house two different tarantulas. Here's the deal. I have heard so many instances over the course of the years doing this where people have tried to split a cage, whether it be I've seen it done with aquariums, with acrylic tanks, with wooden tanks, whatever it may be, where they decide, listen, I have this big one. I want to house more than one tarantula in it. And they try to split it up in a way that the tarantulas are kept apart and that they can better utilize the space for more tarantulas, which sounds great on paper. But I've heard so many instances of these things going horribly wrong. Now, I'm sure there are some people out there that are good carpenters, good at working with, you know, whether it be glass or acrylic or whatever material they are using that can create something that is basically safe to house two different species, two different tarantulas right next to each other. So I I don't want to say this is 100% going to happen because I'm sure there's people out there like, listen, I pulled it off, but I've heard many cases over the course of years of people have tried to divide pre-existing tanks. Usually it involves trying to break up a larger aquarium and they come up with this great idea that they're going to put dividers in all this stuff. And what ends up happening inevitably in many of these situations is one spider ends up squeezing over the top of the other spider and they end up with not two spiders, but one fat one in the morning. I have three different situations one that involved a rosea and an albopilosum, one that involved two albopilosums, and I honestly, for the life of me, can't remember what the other one was, but somebody had tried to divide a cage up. In all three instances, they divided the cages up. They made what they thought was the perfect top, and in all three instances, well, the first one, I was like, oh, it sounds pretty cool. I'd just be very careful that the spider can't get over and get into the other side. They're like, oh, no, no, it's foolproof. The other ones were all after the fact ones where they're like, listen, you're right. I heard something you said because I think I did one of my old articles or something. I talked about the fact that you shouldn't try to divide the cages up. And they're like, yeah, you were right. The worst one was this person had two B albopilosums at the time, T albopilosum now, obviously, two T albopilosums, a male and a female. And the female was smaller. The male was bigger. The male wasn't fully mature yet. And they had had them, I believe, for several years. He had taken an aquarium. He had put a piece of glass in the middle of it. He had a top that he said should uh, seem to prevent them from getting over the top. Well, he came in one day and the male had gone over to the female side and killed and ate the female. And he was absolutely heartbroken. I don't blame him. It was, it was a terrible situation. He was like, he goes, I, I was basically in tears because I couldn't believe this could happen. They had been fine for a while. So know that if you try to divide an aquarium or some type of cage to accommodate two specimens, 
you really need to make sure there's no there there can't be any way for that tarantula to go from one side to another. I've I've spoken to some folks who have shown me some designs they have, and you can tell there's no way the tarantula is going to be able to move. That middle wall has to be stationary, and you have to make sure there's no way it can climb over the top. Unfortunately, what a lot of people will end up doing, and this is where it usually goes wrong, is they get an aquarium and they have one of those screen tops, and they put a divider in, and there's nothing attaching the top of the divider to the screen. So what ends up happening is the tarantula squeezes up over the top of the divider between the divider and the screen and gets into the other side. And that obviously is a recipe for disaster. So I've had, I get this one every once in a while. And what made me think of this one is three weeks ago, somebody told me the idea where they bought like, a, I, I want to say it was a 50 gallon long and they were turning it into a bunch of different tarantula enclosures and they were dividing it with glass and we're using the silicone, the whole nine, but then their top, it really looked like that top. It was one top. It wasn't going to be a bunch of different t- tops. You could open one and deal with it and not worry about the other. It was going to be one large top that lifted up and it looked like there was nothing securing it to the tops of the dividers. And I was trying to explain to the person that this could be a a very bad situation, but they unfortunately weren't hearing it. So I don't know how that turned out. Maybe it turned out fine. Unfortunately, what ends up happening in many of these situations is it turns out fine for quite a while until it's no longer fine. And a couple of the ones I heard, the one with the G. Porteri, I know that one was kept in the enclosure for quite some time. The G. Porteri went over and ended up eating the Alba Pelosum. So that's something to consider. It's again, risk versus reward. Do you want to take the chance of ending up with one fat spider? If you do try to divide an enclosure, it's very important that you make sure there is absolutely zero way one spider can get over from one side to the other side. And for the final one, we will cover on this one. And again, this is something that will probably be added to or I will do updates on because I'm sure other things will pop up as I post it. Uh, There'll be an article version of it. There'll be a video version of it that I'm already working on. And we want to make sure that people are aware of this stuff so they can make informed decisions going ahead. But the last one is, can feeder insects eat your tarantula? Short version of this one. Yes, they absolutely can. I've heard situations of slings disappearing after molt. I had somebody talk tell me that they basically had a tarantula flip over molt and when it was in its really you know obviously that when they're all moist and gangly and kind of scrunched up a cricket came out and was basically gnawing on the abdomen I will share an experience I had now again this involves a dead spider I came in one morning I had my black widows that were all dying of old age unfortunately and one of them I had dropped a little tiny red runner roach in with and she died I saw it in the morning so I'm like all right when I get home I'll take care of that well when I got home the spider was completely gone because the red runner had devoured it it was like just some legs the abdomen was completely gone the spider dropped down died on the bottom the red runner ate it so they will the prey items can and will injure your tarantulas I've heard people say ah it's not that big of a deal I had somebody not that long ago tell me that well in the wild they're gonna have insects around them all the time so what I do is I just throw a bunch of stuff in there and then it can just feed when it wants to. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. They can attack the spiders. Now is again, is it common? No. And I've had some people say some of the ways you can prevent that is for example, if you have a prey item in the enclosure and you know it's there, you can drop like a carrot or a piece of potato in. And generally speaking, the insect will go feast on that or eat that as opposed to attack your tarantula. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. Honestly, that's not one I came up with. But you want to make sure that when you're feeding, if your tarantula is in pre-molt, 
obviously here's a there's a couple issues with that number one obviously they are very moist after a pre-mold and if you have a cricket in an enclosure or a roach in an enclosure they're going to be searching for that moisture that's a nice place and i'm sure that's very tasty and then what happens is well there's an animal there that can't defend itself they will eat they you know i've had situations with crickets eating other crickets one of the big ones that comes up are the superworms. people will drop superworms in and they disappear that's why i crush their heads because superworms can bite they can chew and I did hear a horrific thing where somebody found a superworm that had killed its tarantula that had molted. It had surfaced up while the tarantula was molting. It was a drier enclosure. The, the superworm came up and was basically chewed the abdomen right up. So, yes, this can happen. How likely is it? Maybe not incredibly likely, but certainly nothing I'd want to take any type of chances with. These guys are very, very vulnerable after they molt. And you don't want... Right off the bat, even if the the... The feeder animal doesn't kill the tarantula or even doesn't cause physical harm. Just having something around it while it's in that state is stressful for your spider. But yes, they can actually attack them. I The, the superworms is a big one because I have a video out there where I'm feeding superworms out. One of them reaches around and basically bites. You can see it bite the tarantula. And the tarantula kind of kicks it off and then tries to bite it again. So they can bite. Crickets will. I've seen crickets, you know, again... That's the big one. The crickets are kind of nasty. So if you're dropping crickets in there and your tarantula doesn't eat it by the next day, take the cricket out. Don't leave them in there. Do not drop in gobs of, you know, roaches and feeder insects and stuff into your tarantula enclosure because they can and will injure your tarantula. You don't want to take that kind of chance. Nobody wants to lose a tarantula to a feeder insect. That would just be horrible and honestly completely avoidable. All right, so that will about cover what I've got now for the list. And again, my goal is I've got the article started and I'll be doing the video version of it, kind of mix it up. I'm kind of excited about doing that as well, although I'm trying to figure out what type of images I'm going to fill it with. So if anybody has images of any of this, I mean, right off the bat, if somebody has any footage of their spider dangling or any of this that could help out, feel free to contact me because I will be putting together a video version of it. But again, this is stuff I think people really need to be aware of. And what I've been trying to think of lately is some of the questions I get from beginners sometimes not even beginners sometimes it's been people that's been that have been in the hobby for a while that have like a like hey i just fell in and found a bunch of 10 gallon tanks on uh, craigslist uh, can i use these things and that's what this is basically about is making sure people are aware making sure they're making informed decisions making sure that folks aren't out there putting their their tarantulas or their spiders in situations that could cause harm or even death so that will do it for this one. As always, if you want to check out videos, you can go over to YouTube. I have a channel over there, Tom's Big Spiders. If you want to read some articles on these, which I think they're easier to, you know, I know the videos are one thing and I try to put all those notes in there, but if you want to print something out that you can take notes on, then you have obviously the articles over there and I am keeping up more with that. I think I've posted three in the last two or three weeks or so, maybe last month, which is much better than the one entire, I, I posted apparently one article last year, which kind of blew my mind when I saw that. I didn't realize I had gotten that far away from it, but there'll be articles up there. There'll be an article version of this eventually. Um, as always, I appreciate everybody that takes the time to listen to this. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode and I will catch you guys all next time.